live. It's the Behind the Resume podcast with Scouts Max Hansen, where you get to know the person behind the resume. The interesting stuff people never hear about just by looking at a profile. Hear intimate conversations with leaders to learn their story, life hacks, life experiences, and any other interesting practices or learning experiences that have made them who they are today. You know, the interesting stuff. Now, if you're ready, let's go behind the resume. Here's your host, Y Scouts Max Hansen. Welcome to episode two of Behind the Resume with Max Hansen, brought to you by Y Scouts. Today's guest is Nathan Harris. Nate is originally from Milwaukee and a current Scottsdale resident. Nate is a successful restauranteur, techpreneur, I think it's a word I just made up, growth strategist, podcaster, consultant, motivational speaker, and so much more. Nate's story is an incredible example of the American dream from growing up enduring periods of homelessness to becoming a successful entrepreneur in multiple companies. I can't wait to get behind the resume with Nathan Harris. Welcome to the show, Nate. Thanks. I appreciate the valiant intro. You got it. Uh, so let's start out. Uh, what is a motto that you live by? Let's just jump right in. Yeah. One of the biggest things is also the only tattoo on my body is, uh, um, is basically strength and adversity. I feel like the greatest strengths that you find in life and in pretty much anything that you do is largely when you're facing some form of challenge and uh, you have to push through that. So that's one of my biggest mottos. Got it. It makes sense. So I know a little bit about you, so I'm going to ask some questions. Normally on this show, I like to start with the professional stuff and then dig into the juicier stuff, but you have <laughs> such an amazing story um, that I want to jump. I want to go back, and I want you to tell me uh, about your journey as a, as a child um, and you know, being homeless uh, for short periods of time, or maybe they're long periods of time. We'll find out. Mm-hmm. No father figure, your mom's role, your brother's role. Like, let's start with that story because I think there's so much there to unpack. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is the most significant part of what made me who I am today. Is you know, having a single mom, being able to try and provide for her kids and still grow as an individual as well, um, is really really inspiring. You know, to see someone at you know age of 20 years old with two kids, um, and at times we had to live in a shelter. You know, just to to get us to that next chapter, but her willingness to keep us happy and to keep us motivated and always finding that positive spirit, even through the face of that adversity, so she could give us a better opportunity or at least the best opportunity she could set us up for. Uh, that was just something that inspired me and really having her, you know, even when we're walking miles in the snow, you know, with, with no money and just carrying groceries, she'd keep us singing, even if our, our feet were freezing. And um, eventually though, a lot of that kind of took a toll on her. So, by the time I was around 12 years old, my mom attempted suicide. I was just facing depression that wasn't really addressed, right? And there's no one there for her to call on. She was all by herself raising two kids. And it, had, it created a level of awareness. And in that moment, um, it was when my brother really kind of showed me what a, what a real man is. He decided, you know what? I'm not going to let us get separated. He basically asked me to go with the flow and because right now, if we tell anybody that mom's not here, they're going to take us. So in this moment, he had to decide, like, he's got to now be kind of like, we got to be our own dads. So uh, that's really was the turning point for me that, you know, from there forward, it was on us to kind of provide for our families. And it's been that way ever since. Such an amazing story. How old, how, what's the age difference between you and your brother? He's about two years older than me. So I was 12, he was 14. 
And um, we really had to like band together. And so what we did honestly to survive was um, my mom would get these checks in the mail for being disabled. We just take them to the corner store and in the ghetto, like no one's going to like, like, why is there a 12 year old like cashing a check? I don't know. <laughs> but that's just how it was. So we would go there, we would cash, we'd know how to like manage bills. So like a lot of times we'd be showering with candles because in the winter, like they would cut the lights off, but they won't cut the heat off because it's like illegal in Wisconsin. We kind of figured out the loophole. They're like, all right, well, we may not have lights, but at least you have enough money for food. So like, that's really kind of how it was growing up. It's like, you had to pick a struggle. It wasn't like you weren't going to have any. You just have to pick which one. So um, that was my early part of my life. And through going through that, it ended up taking a toll on me. So by the time I got to my senior year of high school, I gave up. I didn't want to finish. I actually didn't graduate high school in time. I was just like, I'm going to find a way to live in the streets. And um, with all this opportunity I had, like I was class president, like I was set up for success, but I just didn't believe myself. So then um, when I did that, my brother was like, all right, well, then I'm not going to college either then because I'm not leaving you behind. So I seen how I was kind of impacting him. And he just basically, it really broke me actually after a while. I was like, I can't be the drag on the family. We've been through enough. So then I, um, through a lot of tears, decided that I'm going to literally live every day and be better no matter what happens. And I don't know what that better looks like. And uh, I think I was 19 at the time. And um, my mom didn't want to hold us back either. So eventually like I moved and got my own apartment and I started working at UPS. I was um, a receiving manager. Like I loaded the trucks first, then I became a manager. Yeah, but then uh, that was kind of like my origin of, of really breaking out because I got promoted in four months to like management and I started seeing like a different world. And that's when I moved to Milwaukee and I had to like kind of leave my mom on her own. And she did so great. Like she would go to the grocery store all by herself, which was not a thing. So um, yeah, that was kind of my origin of like really wanting to spread my wings. But I eventually stopped uh, the corporate route about a year and two in, two in um, and started a digital agency, which was my first business. Got it. Got it. So did you, uh, did you and your brother like play sports or like, did you have any, did you get to compete when you're younger? What was your childhood? He like? did. So my brother was an amazing track athlete, um, reward winning, you know, he went to state, you know, medaled gold, all that wrestling conference champion. He was all those great things. I was class president, like, and also, uh, <laughs> the number one talent guy because I was a break dancer. So that was my thing. It was like, I didn't really like sports. I love dance. So I created my own crew called the Fresh Bums Crew. And it's because we live our lives on the ground, but we're still fresh. So we uh, we really competed a lot. Um, I competed on multiple stages and it was it was my escape. That's awesome. I love how uh, break dancing goes you know, from generation to generation because it was a thing when I was uh, – younger too and clearly i'm you know a little bit older than you at least by 10 years <laughs> at a, least it's a lot of fun it's uh <laughs> it's it's something that like i can control but then push the limits still at the same time yeah that's what i was gonna t- i was gonna dig into that a little bit like how do you connect being a competitive break dancer to being good professionally at what you do now um the re- they call me dream all the time and i think it all ties into everything so rather be how i own my bars or how i run my software company or anything that i'm a part of like I dream it, right? It's this weird thing I have where like, I'll even get up and just drive in my car for 30 minutes and just like visualize things. So I've always been like that as a kid. So I was a write, I'd write all the time. So like I could see stuff and then I connected writing and music. And as I listened to music, I would see my mom like moonwalking and stuff in the kitchen and stuff. Cause my mom loved to dance. And apparently like, you know, my dad was like a DJ and the dancer when he was younger. And uh, I was like, oh man, it's in the blood. 
So like, I just got really addicted and I would dance in front of like the mirror, but it was always like, I would daydream, visualize. So it really taught me in order to dance, you got to be able to create nothing from just a beat and a movement or something. You got to be inspired by a trigger, right? So now today, rather it be when I'm consulting people or, or trying to build an ecosystem, grow a company, my ability to have foresight, my vision, my ability to visualize and create it, create those experiences in real life, I think is Im- Im- immensely impacted um, because that's all I do. And that's all I've done is just visualize and then execute on what I visualize. Yeah, I love it. And I think, uh, you know, one of the things that sticks out to me is that you would dream, visualize, and then you would write it down. Because a lot of yes. people, you know, I, I, for a long time, would think of great ideas. And if you don't write them down, they're, they're very hard to uh, execute <laughs> on upon that because uh, they will just be fleeting thoughts. So yes. it sounds like you developed some good habits early on through breakdancing, which is amazing. Now, let's, yeah. let's change gears a little bit. I'll, I will jump in uh, to your company, uh, Ease. And I'm pretty infatuated with it just because I think we're both somewhat in the same industry. Obviously, we don't <laughs> compete, but uh, you know, it's, it's around recruiting yeah. uh, and, and hiring. So tell me, tell me about your, uh, your company, Ease. I know a lot about it, but I want to hear it from you and uh, yeah. you know, kind of dig in that way. Yeah, man. Ease is, uh, was an accidental brainchild. Everything I've done has been an accident. I was actually working on like my first like bar deal and it went bad. And like, I ended up like kind of on my own. I was like, I don't want to work for anybody ever again. But I got where I was because I had this agency. My agency was virtual. So I had all these smart people all over the United States that were awesome engineers, awesome marketers. They're just super brilliant. They were part of a forum that we were on. And I realized like the thing that I really liked the most was really getting into different business environments and solving like problems. But I didn't really like the execution. So what I would do is like, hey, guys, like I'm going to code sell strategy and I'm going to send you guys a bunch of work You down for that. Yeah. OK, great. Now I had this, you know, repertoire of things that I could execute on. As I started Ease, it was really about building a community first. So then as I built this community of really smart people and started connecting them with jobs, uh, I started then building the platform where they can manage the projects on. They can connect and send messages. Um, and then eventually file share. So I just kept building more tools that they called on. And then now after a while, I had so many different clients managing talent that I said, what is the real problem now at scale? How do we scale this without the human interaction component? And the only way to really scale it is to be able to predict what the key things that make up an ideal fit for a job are. So those key characteristics are around behavioral dynamics, um, uh, cultural dynamics, um, and learning styles. So we utilize DISC and a variety of predictive analytics tools now today to be able to predict who will be the best fit for opportunities, primarily focused on freelancers. So we are always been focused on remote work, digital nomad, brilliant people that want to solve complex problems. And that's really was the brainchild of Ease was really just I already had the smart people and I just built a community around giving them what they asked for. Got it. Well, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. So what I love is, uh, and I think this comes more natural to, to younger folks and, and millennials. I don't know if, I don't know your exact birthday, but let's just say it's a millennial. Uh, I'm just guessing. <laughs> yeah, but, so, so the cultural aspect that doesn't come natural to, you know, people that are older. Um, and we, we got infatuated. I'd been in the staffing business for a long time and started to realize that it was, it was the differentiating piece, you know, being able to do a job is one thing, being able to uh, fit in with the culture and do the job was, you know, kind of what you're looking for. But 
How, did, did it just naturally, that was just one of the pieces of the puzzle that was super important from the beginning, or was it something that you figured out through you know, your other work uh, that you're involved with? It was something that I figured out when I was at UPS, honestly. Uh, when I was there, I, I, I looked at the way that corporate culture worked from the back in the day and why they even needed the unions just to protect them from the policies that were set in place. There was nothing about culture. It was about get the job done and get out. And it didn't allow you to have retention and it didn't allow you to create what I call the launch pad, right? Every individual today is looking for diversified opportunities, short-term bursts to get them to the next chapter. So realistically, everyone has to think about if you can't be a like the only way to be a launch pad is you have to know where they want to go. So I dove deeper into where does somebody want to go and how can I set you up for success to get there through what I have to offer today? So that was really, really important to me then. And I always brought that into every business I have is I really want to know where my employees want to go, where anybody in my community wants to go, even my friends. Like, I want to know where people want to go and how can I help you be there? Because even as ease is a product, at the end of the day, like I built my career on being a connector. So I just happened to build a product around it. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And it sounds like from it being a technology base, being around freelancers, it sounds like one of those businesses where COVID, it might, you might have grow, had seen some growth during COVID. Is that true? And, and yep. tell me about your experience in, in, with ease uh, during COVID. Yeah, it's honestly been the, the weird to say this as COVID has had negative impacts on the society. Um, it's uh, been a blessing, honestly, because what it did was it somewhat validated what I had been screaming from the mountaintops for so many years where I'm like, the world is going to go remote. The world is going to go remote. And these are the things you need to understand about your employees. And my first ever like big conference workshop was around how to build a team of self-directed workers. And what does that look like? And how do you, man, what leadership look like in that environment? So for me, we got about 400% increase in our talent pool um, and about a 54% growth rate in our, in our sales pool um, just from COVID because not because we found a bunch of new customers is because the customers that weren't listening <laughs> decided to say, yeah, he talked about that a couple months ago. Didn't he call that guy? <laughs> that was really it. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. It's amazing to hear those stories. So looking back at when I, when I kind of skimmed through your past and, and just looking back, it looked like there was a pivotal point in, in my view uh, for entrepreneurship. And, and it was when you were working for uglies, you started as a director of marketing, and then you had an opportunity to get a stake of ownership through helping turn the business around or re rebrand it from kind of what I understood. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Cause I kind of felt like from my perspective and, and obviously I want to hear from you, but w w tell me about that, uh, that journey or that pivot. Um, was that, was that when you your first taste of entrepreneurship um, or was there stuff before that? Um, I guess the only other taste I had was when I was in like my dance crew, we would have like performances to get paid for. So they don't count. That's like selling lemonade. But I think uh, for realistically, that was my real first taste. It was the first good and bad taste. And that was that negative journey that I was talking about. You know, I came in as a director of marketing for a business and quickly became the end all be all. Like I'm designing the place. I'm getting us through fire code and turning a grocery store, which was a three and a half million dollar construction project into a multi-level bar in front of a dead basketball team called the Bucks, which are now like number one. <laughs> And it's like, I was there before that. And everyone's like, you're an idiot. There's no way this, the guys you're working with are going to fail. And why are you putting all your eggs in this basket? Because I wasn't even getting paid. I was working for free and exchange for set squad equity. But um, so I just grinded for two years on that project. 
And then finally I hired every employee. Um, and then the, my birthday was August 5th. And then the week after that, they literally like deleted my email and then like fired me out of nowhere. Like didn't, they really never signed my contract. So I couldn't do anything. I was sleeping. I had just moved out of my, and got a new condo. I was like, literally all I have was a couch and TV. Like, all right, well, and I just bought an office. Like, I have no income. I got 300 bucks. My office is $1,200. My apartment's $1,500. I'm like, oh, I got three weeks to figure this out. And that's when I came up with ease. Um, and it worked. But that was the time where I, f- I realized that the world isn't all sunshine and rainbows. And that the capital world is very predatory. So you have to really, really dig deep. And that's where values came into play. As I said, I will never work with anybody again that doesn't have the same values as so then that's when I, I that's what I did. I started aligning myself with amazing mentors like Kevin Kowalki, who first investor in ease and person that's been a great part of my life and snowballing into just like Chris Abley, who has been a mentor and a guide. I mean, God, like to have Chris Abley to see me at like 22 years old and say, you know, I believe in you and never actually like, I never asked for anything. I mean, this guy's dad founded Boston Scientific and he went on to become Milwaukee County executive and and, you know, the most active VC in Wisconsin, he was, I was just able to sit in a room with these types of guys. So for years, I just kept grinding and trying to grab their attention. And um, what ended up happening was I, one, took the bar back because the guys who screwed me over, they ended up failing three months in. And then they literally had a judge contact me to come in and turn it around. And then I basically bought them out over the next few years. So like after me doing the right thing, I actually ended up taking the bar that screwed me. And then two years after that, somebody tried to sue me, Cody Ugly, for like something, for having to name Uglies. They ended up closing and I ended up taking their bar. So it's like whenever you do the right thing, somehow justice will come and find you. You don't have to go find it yourself. So that's where like I learned so much about that side of entrepreneurship because the intellectual stuff will always come, right? But the entrepreneurial side is 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 a little more cutthroat and, and or agile in your mindset. And it's a lot about like values. Uh, I think that, that I learned during that time. Let's dig into, I mean, it sounds like you had some amazing, uh, you know, people to look up to and people you could use as resources, but how did you get in touch with those people? How did you get connected originally? And how did you, you know, stick, stay in front of them and, and how were you able to use them as uh, resources? Well, I was really blessed. Um, when I first came into Milwaukee, like, I didn't hang out with people my own age. You know, I was 19 years old and all my friends were like 25 to 35. And I'm like in these, I'm going down to city hall meetings. I'm hearing about what's happening in the city because I could feel that Milwaukee was onto something, but I didn't understand it. And I didn't know why or how. So like, I'm looking up everything I could possibly can to learn about entrepreneurship score, which is like free stuff you can get. And then I'm the only young person in the room. So eventually they're like, why is there one young guy here? And they were just drawn to me. And people were just like, hey, I'm going to keep watching you. I was always giving business cards. I was just really active. Like, I didn't want to party. I wanted to, like, figure this thing out. So that's really how I started meeting people. And then eventually, um, my work started speaking for itself. So I took a couple of retail stores in Milwaukee and a bunch of bars and increased their sales by 50, 60%. And my name started getting around town that, like, this guy knows, you know, these parts of a business. So um, I ended up getting hired to take on growth marketing for a startup called Chitter at the time. And Kevin Kowalki was the lead investor. Mm. That startup didn't work out, but what he seen from me working, he said, hey, I want to stay in touch. So then when I finally came up with my own idea, he said, hey, I want to support you. Same thing happened with Chris Abley. 
I'm working my butt off to just really bring this dream forward and I get accepted into one of the top ranked accelerators in the world generator. And all of a sudden he find out he part owner in that. I'm like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Like, how, how do you own this? And uh, oh, I got to bought dial back. Well, when I opened my bar, I didn't know that the Milwaukee Bucks are going to get bought. So I actually find out 2016 or something before the public even knows because they're coming around like, will you sell? I'm like, uh, let me see your plan. No, <laughs> like we're not going anywhere. So like in our building owner, all of us are on board. We're like, we're not leaving. So they ended up buying every single thing around us. And eventually um, the deal was going to not go through because a lot of city people were fighting it. And they decided to have one bar be the commercial to talk about what would happen if the Milwaukee Bucks left Milwaukee and went to Vegas or something. And I was in that commercial. Little did I know it was for Chris Abley, politician. So I just was like, oh, I want the Bucks here. And also I want to be on TV. So I ended up doing it. And he ends up to, just brings me down to thank me. Um, and he ended up talking for three hours. He canceled the rest of his day. And like ever since then, he took me to every basketball game, political meetings, flew me to different parts of the country to meet some amazing people of his because he just straight up told me like, I believe in you. I love your story and where you're going. And um, so when I got in a generator, he's like, you know what? Don't touch any other investors. I'll invest a half a million take this company off and I'll introduce you to everybody I know uh, to really help build it because I believe in you. So same thing always happens is I just ask for advice and then I get investment or support, but it's just showing up, I think really was the key. Got it. Tell me about Milwaukee. Uh, I've only been in Milwaukee once. I'll tell you, I was going to uh, Lambeau for a football game and I couldn't fly in anywhere closer. So I flew into Milwaukee. So I drove by and it was the most amazing city as I was driving away but I never went back, and I know you know those are you built some roots there. But uh, I'm just curious as to uh, you know what what did you love and what do you love about Milwaukee? Milwaukee is 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 such a vibrant city with deep culture that we call it small Milwaukee. The ones that live there is because when you're there, you feel like you know everybody. You know the guy walking down the street just it's it's selling the same CDs every day, or the guy that you know the best burger in town. You know who every restaurant owner like it's just so small and tight where the focus is around food, good times, cultures, festivals, and, and just good integrity. You know, that's one thing I like about, about smaller cities is that they, the love is so much stronger because when you do something like everybody knows, right? It's like, we got to have each other's back. Then everyone's so proud of our city and our state. So they rally together in such big events. I mean, our bar crawls or everything. It's just, it's just a city that people sleep on, you know, rather it be winter or, or summer, you can go dance on the, and, and you can uh, boat on the water or go dance on the ice in the winter. Like it's whatever you want to do. So I think that that's really it, man. It's just a, a great food and, and community. That's really, really tight knit. And what, uh, my, what brought you to Scottsdale, Arizona? You know, what's funny is uh, the traditional story of a girl. So I was, Born, I had gotten my bars to autopilot um, and I've really handed over operations. And my ex-girlfriend was basically, hey, I'm going to ASU. I'm like, man, I vacation there every year. I'd love to go check it out. I started checking it out even more. All of a sudden, all right, I'm getting a place here. So then all of a sudden, I my vacation home became my main home. <laughs> and now I basically ended up living here full time as of about two years ago, mainly. And I've fallen in love, man. Like it is just such a great landscape and a more diverse uh, mindset here. You know, there is a lot of, um, you know, Milwaukee's most segregated city in America. There's a lot of barriers there for African-American entrepreneurs. 
that I don't feel here. You know, it's people are a lot more open to work with new people because everybody's transient. Nobody's from here. Mm-hmm. So you don't have that uh, generational closed-mindedness that I feel that the Midwest can have when it comes to like the entrepreneur ecosystem. Gotcha. And how old are you now? I'm 31. 31. You know, when I graduated from college, uh, I went to North, graduate from Northern Arizona University. I moved right by ASU. And so I felt like I got to go to ASU after I graduated <laughs> college too. So uh, similar, similar, uh, similar background, but uh, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. Um, tell me, you know, just looking back and, and this has been an amazing conversation so far, but tell me about kind of the best, um, you know, the best experience in life that you've had so far. I know it's a big question and, and obviously, yeah. you know, you've had a uh, incredible childhood and, and a tough childhood and then an incredible run since then. But uh, what, are, what are your best life experiences look like? And then I'm going to flip that too. And I'm going to say, hey, what are, what are those, what's the worst been like? Man, that's tough. I think the best for me, um, and, I, and I always attach my best experiences to professional things because that's really all I know. Um, <laughs> but my, I think mine was getting into my first accelerator and graduating from our first accelerator and, you know, getting like, fully funded, like stepping on premiere night first time because I never actually walked across the stage before. I've never graduated from anything. So I either just don't want to show up. I was, used to be really shy. So for the first time graduating and stepping on stage and being introduced on stage by like Chris Abley and being welcomed by 700 uh, executive leaders and that like believe in my idea, that was a, like a special moment for me because my brother and everybody in my family, like they got me a graduation cap. Everybody signed it because they remembered that like I've never graduated from anything like this is his first graduation. And everybody made that super special because they knew how important it was to me. Even though I didn't say anything, like even my dog was there. So it was, that was one of the most memorable moments of my life. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. I don't, I don't like my kids to hear from people that didn't have to graduate that are su- as successful as you. But congratulations, because <laughs> then they're like, see, I don't have to go to school. That guy's successful. I can do what he did. Um, and I also, uh, at one time, always felt like I was the youngest person in the room. And then all of a sudden, I wasn't. So have you crossed <laughs> that gap yet where all of a sudden you're looking around and you're not the, most, the youngest person in the room? Yeah, honestly, I have crossed that gap because I'm being in the startup ecosystem. It's constant where I'm like, man, I did so well in life. And then like a 19-year-old raises $20 million. I'm like, oh, (laughs) okay. I'm doing all right, but not that great because there's just so many brilliant people in the world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's how I feel. And I was in EO. I was the youngest person to join EO when I joined. And now I I was in EO for 10 years. Now I've been YPO for seven and now I'm far from the youngest person in my forum, even. <laughs> like when I look around, I'm like, oh my gosh, these people are crushing it. Uh, yeah. So well, tell, me, tell me a little bit about Generator. Uh, I, I don't know a lot about it. Obviously, you've talked a lot about it. It's been very impactful in getting to where you're at today. So I'd love to hear more about it. I think it deserves, from, from what you've talked about so far, it deserves a little airtime. Uh, and I'm curious yeah. as to you know, what it is and, and what the process is like, because it sounds like it's a, a pretty successful process. Yeah, um, it was created by Joe Kurgis and Troy Vossler, uh, two um, law graduates from University of Madison. They wanted to solve the problem of the drain of venture capital that the Midwest was experiencing. So they wanted to find the best and brightest startups from anywhere and bring them to Wisconsin. And if they're in Wisconsin, investing in them. And each startup gets uh, about $100,000 to $150,000 in venture capital investment. Uh, they pick five startups out of thousands that apply per cohort. Uh, so it's less than a 1% chance of getting in. Uh, I know startups applied seven years in a row, never got in. I was so honored to get into my first try. And it, it was just a blessing 
And what they do is they take you and have you pitch round robin 20 pitches a day for two to three weeks over and over to the biggest executives that are like in all of the Midwest around the country, just as practice. Then they put you in like about another month of refining and, and, and going after marketing, going to customers, and trying to raise up your metrics. Then after that, they take you on a roadshow across the U.S. and nine different states to pitch 300 investors. Um, and by the end, t- startups typically raise between one to two million dollars in follow-on capital, and then f- go on to go do bigger and better things. So they've done that. Uh, started in 2016, I believe, and to date, they raised about a half a billion dollars and created tens of thousands of jobs uh, for startups all over the Midwest, and acquired about 13 other markets and startups. So they have a music accelerator at uh, Motown, Warner Brothers. Um, you know, everything you name it, they have it now and they're just a snowball of growth. And Chris Abley is backing that as well. So uh, they're all part of what CSA partners. So my company is a portfolio of CSA partners, which is Chris Abley's venture fund. And so it's generator. So really awesome for anybody that's building technology, trying to solve technology problems. Um, and then I also, uh, we're alumni of plug and play tech center. So that's the largest corporate tech innovation hub in the world. It's located in Santa Clara, so your favorite people like Google and Dropbox came from there. Um, we were blessed to get into that. And I've been able to see two worlds, the, the, the San Francisco Silicon Valley startup strategy, then the Midwest more traditional strategy. And that makes me come up with this idea of what I always call it, like we're a zebra startup where I like to remain profitable while raising capital for growth. Wow. Instead of the traditional burn capital method. Sure, sure. It sounds like just that process that they put you through. Even if you didn't end up getting uh, you know, the capital, that you would be set up for success just based on that, that uh, process they put you through. Yeah, 100%. Because when you're done, you get access to hundreds of corporate partners, right? So for plug and play, I can say, hey, I need to connect with someone at Nike that's in this role. They'll give me that connection tomorrow. I mean, like that's how I've, I've really been building my podcast too, because I'm also uh, used as a partner in HR Transform in Las Vegas. So really transformative HR conference in Vegas, where we bring some of the best leaders and chief people officers from Fortune 500s together and really talk about not just people operations, but how is tech impacting culture and in corporate ecosystems? And how do we put ourselves in front of tech? How do we not make bias tech? So really, really cool, innovative ideas around people and technology that, um, that really give us access to these things. And I didn't get that until Generator got me into that. So that's where that's where it's so great to be a part of accelerators. They take equity in your business, so they buy it. Um, but it's not about the money. Like you get a hundred grand from them and they give you millions of dollars worth of connections. How much do you think in that program, look, going back to Generator, how much, what percentage of it is based on the business idea or the leader, do you think, just from your experience? Oh, it it's... I would say it's an 80 20 weight, 80% the leader, 20% the idea, because ideas don't matter without execution. And you, and also the entrepreneur that you're looking for has to have grit. Like so many people forget about the grit part and they think only about the intellectual and metric, metric, measurable parts, but that you can't measure every or predict every challenge. So that grit component, I think, is an imperative part of their selection process, um, as well as your idea and strategic strategy. Um, and then another thing that's important is who else is a part of the company in terms of your advisors and your investors, uh, because there's a the entrepreneurial world is a gatekeeper of society. So you know you're not going to run a Facebook ad to get the big deal. It's all about who you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. 
Well, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in a little bit. Uh, obviously you've seen a lot of success and, and you've been uh, fortunate, but you've worked very hard for it. So I'm going to break this down like on a day-to-day basis. What do you do on a day-to-day basis? Like what habits do you have? Like, how do you break down your day? I'm going to try to figure out and suss out what has gotten you to where you're at because you're super humble. um, So I'm going to have to dig a little bit, but what do you, what, how do you, how did you get that grit? How did you, you know, take those ideas? How do you execute upon it uh, on a daily basis? Um, I've actually done the same thing every day since that day I said I wanted to be better. And I used to start off, but the only thing that's changed is the, the sound in my head. So in the beginning, I would start my day by listening to like Eric Thomas and Tom Bilyeu's like motivational, like YouTube reels that are like two hours long. They're like, ah, I could do this because I needed to see that it was possible. Like I had to chip on my shoulder. I had something to prove. But then today it's more of a gratitude approach to my day. So I start my, my day with gratitude versus uh, this burning desire or chip of rage I want to fight. But the methodology is the same. or I don't even have to use an alarm anymore. Every day, my body wakes me up at 530. And immediately, I look and I don't want to touch my phone because it's going to create anxiety. It's going to do things that I don't want and allows somebody else or something else to take control of my focus or day. So what I do is I make myself extremely selfish in the first hour. So I'll get up. I do my little routine. I'll get warm my car up. And then I go for a nice drive. And I'll go through the mountains and I'll play music. And I drive up to like these same houses that I've driven up to since before I had a nickel. And there's this beautiful view. It's off of Lincoln Drive. And uh, I just go over there and I just like look out and I think about what I'm grateful for and, and, and really think about where I came from every day because I don't want to forget that. And it's sometimes an emotional experience. And then after that, I go back and then I set about like 8 a.m. or even 7.30. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to eat. I'm going to do my typical routine because I'm big into fitness. So I'm always making my meals. Um, in the morning. And then from there, I go into my work day. It's my part until 9 a.m. Then the other people can take my day. Now I just organize that. And because I've read Daniel Pink's When, mm-hmm. I've realized that the difference between an owl and a lark. And because of my lark behaviors, I know that my inhibited controls are at their greatest peak right when I wake up in the morning. So that's why I got to be crucial in protecting that because my chronotype tells me that I can work diligently on these tedious, meticulous tasks until halfway through the day when I start to have what they call a trough. And when that trough happens, that's when I go to the gym. That's when I need to get out. I need to lift some weights. I need to really push myself and get everything fired up again. Then my inhibitor controls are going to go back up, but they're never going to reach the level they were when I woke up. So that's when I do my creative tasks because now I've had outside things going into my head, but in the evening, it's great because that's what I want. I want outside influence to execute on finding new ideas. So I've always followed that methodology. Um, and a lot of it's come from reading Daniel Pink books. I love it. I just realized, and that's exactly how I am, but I now have five <laughs> kids. And the only way to get ahead in life with five kids is you got to beat them uh, up in the morning. Yeah. And I, I will work out first thing in the morning. But if I had my choice, I would design it just like that. And that's how I used to do it. Um, and let's speak about uh, working out. The guy, Scott, who uh, works in my office, I think you know him from probably Milwaukee. He's from Minneapolis. But he said, you guys are going to hit it off. I mean, you're both, he said, you're both jacked. I'm probably not jacked like you because I'm old now. But, uh, no, I but, can tell you are. <laughs> but from, from working out, uh, the workouts for me, uh, I always felt like when I was building businesses, when I worked out, I could control that. And so I've always stuck with that. And I still will say that I like the... 
Uh, I can always tell when I stick to my workouts and things are going good, it just happens that business kind of follows. Um, but it really helps me keep in control. And I just want to think, I just want to ask you if that's how it is for you. And that's what this you know, kept you working out like you do, or, or where, where does your uh, inspiration come from? In the gym? I feel like we have a lot in common because <laughs> I feel like the exact same thing when I'm working out, my life is so it's like clockwork. It's like, man, I'm in my stride. I call it sync. I'm in sync. So it's like, but when I'm not, you know, and I feel like I start to get a little lethargic or when I like have to travel a whole lot, and I'm like, man, like I need to get back in my routine. Like, even though it's great traveling for work, it's like if I need my routine, I need my gym time to get that clarity. Otherwise, I feel like I'm getting buried. But when I'm in my my daily routine, I can be in the city and just get stuff done. I've never I can't even put it to words how much more effective I am. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I can put it in a lot of words. I, I Sometimes <laughs> I can't wait to get back to my routine when I'm uh, traveling or, or, you know, out of town. So. I know exactly. Uh, I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. Um, when, when did you like thinking back on your journey? Uh, when were you called to be a leader? Like most times, I most of the time I talk to successful entrepreneurs, and they always tie it back to like you know being a being competitive on the basketball team and playing sports. And since you didn't have that, I'm just thinking about when did when were you called to be a leader? Like when did you know you were going to be a successful leader um, and, and have the confidence in building businesses like you uh, like you are today? I think the turning point. Um, was when I had a successful outcome because in the beginning, when I first started, I, I didn't always have successful outcomes. There's times I wanted to achieve something that I just couldn't figure it out. Um, but right after that, when I got kind of kicked out of the bar and I had the successful outcome of building ease and seeing it scale so fast, you know, like I literally went from $0 to $20,000 in my first month. And I was like, what? Like didn't do that every month, but it was like, wait, what? Like, how do I do that again? Now I was like, all right, the way I did it, it was by taking all these different people and leading them towards a mission. Well, how do I do better at that? So instead of focusing on getting better and better and better and better at one craft, I started realizing that every person that I looked up to, they weren't great at one craft. They were great at being the champion. They were great at being the spearhead. They were great at seeing where everyone wanted to go and being able to pull them behind them and take all the punches along the way. Um, to protect everybody else in the back. So that's really what I started looking at. I was like, man, I want to be that person. That's essentially the hero of the story, right? Like, so that's really what, what motivated me. Do you feel like you found your purpose in life yet? Or you th- do you feel like you're still pursuing it? My purpose is, is, is going to be an ongoing thing because my main job is I have a mission. And my mission is I have to do enough in my life to set my next generations up for success. So they don't have to like deal with any of the stuff that I went through. And I feel like I'm almost there, but it, if I let off, there's going to be some generation that's going to get left behind. So I feel like if I can just push my life as far as I possibly can, that when I do die, um, my kids can say, man, like your grandfather did all this for us. And this is why we are here. And like, you know, this, you know, my legacy can kind of leave on um, and like really keep moving forward. So I think that that's my purpose. I mean, it's, it's to be essentially like this champion right now to, to do what I can to our family for it. And just like fill in the blank, uh, leaders would become better if they did blank. Listened. <laughs> All right. That doesn't surprise me. Um, let's talk about like, let's talk about fun uh, leadership lessons you've learned over the years. Uh, like on a little lighter note, like what, what have you, I mean, you've stubbed your toe and things that you've learned that, that have like helped you become who you are today and, and really improve and continue, uh, you know, 
becoming a better leader? Honestly, I, I, oh, my dad always told me like someone alluded to just now is that you have two ears and one mouth. So like listen twice as much as you speak. And because I'm always listening to so many things, it allows me to step back, think, speak less and innovate more. So like I'm, I have so many like compartmental things that I hear that are problems that I dream about solving one day. So I think that that's helped me to be a leader is because I'm always thinking into the future and always listening to what people's problems are and trying to help them. And that's kind of, I think, comes from my mom and my brother. It's like, if you ever meet my mom or my brother, like we're going to meet one day, uh, formerly down in person, you're going to see like, we're really nurturing people. And I think that nurturing behavior is um, something that's been fun and it's been great. And it's why like, I love creating experiences for my staff, my bars, my friends. I mean, I've got an event company solely just because like, I just love creating experiences. And that's, what's been fun about entrepreneurship is like, I literally have so many brilliant people and I just love bringing them all together. Like even for Halloween, like I'm renting like this extravagant, like mansion of red carpet and just like saying like, Hey, you guys are all my friends, but you don't know each other. So tonight you're going to meet. And like, of course you're going to have masks on maybe, <laughs> but, but um, yeah. So like, I just really want to make sure that like people don't forget that like, the best part of entrepreneurship is not what you're working on a day, but the relationship you're building to create like what you're going to do tomorrow. Oh, I love that. I love that. What are you most curious about now? Oh man, like behavioral psychology. Like I'm so, so, so in that right now where like, that's all I want to read about. That's all we talk about. Cause we have a certified behavioral consultant on our team and uh, assessment like architects. So right now we're literally building this technology that is going to be able to predict not only and create a profile of an individual, but to be able to then collect feedback from their peers as they work on jobs or in the field to then get a more robust profile and predict better matches for jobs in the future. Like if I could like figure out how to get the right data points to create the roadmap of a blueprint of an ideal organization and personality types, and really good blueprints for your career path based on these characteristics about you. Like that would be magic to me. So that's something I'm just super addicted to. And uh, no, I didn't get a PhD, but I'm sitting with people that have them. So it's working. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing I want to go back to uh, just because I've been listening and reading, and this has come up countless times, I feel like in the last, I don't know, two, three months, but it's your routine in the morning about not getting to the cell phone and really you know, owning your own time and then grabbing your cell phone. I think so many people... Mm-hmm. They're on Instagram and going through their, their routine and, you know, before they, when they go to bed and then when they first wake up and they get all these texts and emails. <laughs> so, I mean, I just really want to highlight that because you're not, you know, this, is, this, is, this conversation has come up so many times, but uh, yes. just want to kind of point out uh, your discipline in that and, and uh, you know, how important that is because I do believe it's, uh, I, I've heard it from a lot of successful people uh, recently. Uh, yeah, and that's about producing content, not just consuming it, you know. Like in the morning, I may make a video, but I'm not consuming something. I'm creating something that I can offer value on. So you'll see a lot of my morning wake-up routine videos, and I'll say something maybe inspirational or on my mind. I think that's okay, but consuming it leaves you subject to so much, especially during election times. I don't want to look at my phone at all. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. And text. Like I keep getting texts. It's like, oh, how did you get my number? Nobody texts me anymore. I'm done with the election at this point. I already voted. Um, if you knew, if you knew uh, blank 10 years ago, you would have done what? Oh, hmm. that means I have to say, is I wish I would have done something differently. You know what that would be? If I would have known that we would be where we are 
10 years ago, I would have told my brother to quit his job sooner <laughs> because wow. I feel like, you know, now that he's in the entrepreneurial world, he can really accomplish even so much more because he was doing great work at Amazon. He reason all those packages come to your door so accurately for those flex drivers uh, here, he built that here. So uh, he did that with Amazon, but he was like in that box. I'm like, man, you got to see the world and travel. So like, I think that, you know, it's been so great having him as my partner and in this business and, and to be able to work side by side, because I've always dreamed of working and building a company with my brother. So uh, I would have definitely done that even sooner. So how was that conversation? So I have a brother, he's two years older than me. He's actually a very <laughs> successful entrepreneur, but we've never really been true business partners. We've owned some stuff together. We've lost some money together and some investments, but we've never really <laughs> been in business. So did, were you courting him or was it a constant conversation? Was there like some monumental um, you know, conversation that started the relationship or how did it go down? Yeah, um, we never really figured out how the heck we were going to work together because he was in supply chain logistics and IT. And uh, I'm in like this entrepreneurial, but digital transformation consultant kind of role. So I'm doing my thing, doing my thing. And all of a sudden, once I did come up with the idea of ease, and he was simultaneously building the on-demand independent contractor platform for Amazon, primarily focused on obviously flex drivers, package delivery. But I'm doing it in the digital space. We're like, wait, we're both solving the same problem, but in two different industries. What would you think about doing that over here? So we both did ease as a side project. While I had my safety net of my bar revenue, and he had the safety net of Amazon, it was like, wow, like this thing's taking off. It's working. And I told him, hey, if I raise this money and I get into this program, you're going to have to quit your job literally like next week. So I pitched generator and three weeks go by. Didn't hear anything. And all of a sudden they call me and said, hey, um, you got in and you have four days to be in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm like, oh, shoot. Saul, so, uh, you got to quit. He's like, well, what? I was put in two weeks notice. I was like, not today. <laughs> so he ended up just quitting and uh, flew up there with me. Wow, that's amazing. What's one thing that you wish people would stop saying? Man, um, I would say <laughs> the word hate, I think. That's like so many people hate so many things today. I wish people instead say, I don't understand. Because I think that when people have that inkling of hatred or, or animosity towards anything, it's just a lack of understanding of somebody else's perspective and it leads to confrontation. So if you can stop trying to hate or judge or or dislike something and start trying to more so ask how can i better understand i think the world would be in a lot better place man you should run for a public office of some sort <laughs> or we should blast One this day. out from the hills uh, <laughs> so what in, on that same note like what's a what's an unpopular opinion that you have it doesn't have to be around politics obviously just in general oh no i mean i i definitely have an unpopular opinion that's been grinding my gears as of late um I feel like in current, like in my life, right? I'm an African-American entrepreneur from a really like struggling, tough background. And as I work towards getting to the next chapter and raising my family up, uh, it's been really, really hard, right? And one of the things that's bothered me, I think, as of lately, regardless of politics or your side of the party, is that it's now been convenient for people to kind of monetize a minority pain. So now it's cool to get behind it. So I think that as of today, uh, on that long that understanding uh, train, is uh, let's stop focusing on how to monetize and capitalize and commercialize uh, a problem. Let's focus on like actually getting stuff done to solve them. Because I think that that's one thing that, that people maybe may not like that I have to say, but like I want to see a legitimate activacy and not monetizable activacy. Got it. And another thing, we start you you mentioned this earlier in the conversation. Uh, 
what are some positive like things that COVID has served up to you? I mean, obviously your company is, uh, you know, has picked up some momentum, but what are some other things? I love having this conversation because I think there's so many. I mean, there's people. There's a lot of people that went through a lot of misery, but I think when they really yeah. sat down and thought about it, there's a lot of positive things that came up. But what are some for you? Yeah, I mean, I think the things for I'm in two worlds. So having bars and a startup and in, in a pandemic are two of the worst things you can have, and uh, somehow it's worked out. <laughs> but like for me, the positive parts of 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 it is we're growing our business. We're able to see through the between the cracks and. We're able to also get a better understanding from people and a lot more empathy of around the problem we're solving. So that's been really good. And like really being able to get access to a lot more talent. So many people have left work or different jobs and now they're exploring the idea of what if I was just self-employed? What if I just freelance? The freelance economy grew by 20% in the pandemic. That's like, that's like 0.2 trillion dollars. So we got to think about that. And that's really important as a whole. Um, and then I think the other thing from my bar side is I got so much more close and connected to my community, um, the mayor, the, the health and city health officials, and really having them rally behind us instead of kind of shutting us down. Milwaukee did an amazing job of saying, hey, we're going to work by you and we're going to make sure that we can get rules in place that keep you in business. And I think that that brought our community together more than it tore us apart. Oh, that's amazing. I was just going to ask how it, how it was affected in uh, Milwaukee. How is, how is the business going now? How's the bar business going now? It's been up and down. I mean, we lost like $2 million or more because we lost the NBA finals. We had the Democratic National Convention. We had a variety of different major events that it was supposed to be the biggest year in history for Wisconsin and Milwaukee. So like that was like a low blow, man. Like I was like, no way. And I'm at the entrance of the arena where all that is. Like you can't go into the arena without walking through my guard, your guard. So like, you walk up, you see big Uncle Bucks. Lost all that. But the thing is, though, is with the city of Milwaukee, just they shut us down for a period of time, then they had us create real COVID policies. They brought all the best restaurant leaders together and said, hey, we're going to come up with things that make sense, have you be our consultants. So they've allowed us to survive and thrive. So now we're back to in the green. Um, they are trying to put some new restrictions in place from, from up top, from the governor level. But right now, the city is literally fighting for us to, to be able to stay open because about 30% of all restaurants and bars in the city are permanently closed. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, I'm going to throw some quicker questions at you um, and then we'll start wrapping up pretty soon, but I just want to kind of th- go through kind of a rapid question uh, section. So we know what you like to do when you first wake up. So I won't ask you that. Um, but what, what book have you read more than one time? Drive by Daniel Pink and War of Art. Love it. What, uh, which person has had the greatest impact on your life? My mom. Doesn't surprise me. What's something on your bucket list that you're waiting to check off? Uh, skydiving. If you could teach one subject to school children, what would it be? Um, social studies. And obviously you're, you're a morning person. That was one of my questions. <laughs> yeah, very kind of, much so. All right. And do you think leadership can be taught? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, everyone has an opportunity to be a leader if they know which characteristics to tap into. If you could change one thing... Uh, about the world now, what would it be? Um, like make it more peaceful. Make it so people listen to each other more because we're all trying to get to the same goal, but no one's hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's amazing. Well, I'm going to start wrapping up, but I, I, I think about uh, what a great break dancer you are and how that comes in handy. Like you just did a wedding and somebody's like, hey, do you want to dance? And you know, you're just like, yeah, sure. And you break it out. So I'm just kind of laughing to myself of like, 
being able to be an incredible dancer would be a, a handy uh, tool to have in your tool belt for sure. Yeah, it's been so awesome. One of the things that was really transformative was one time when I was really young, or not really young, I guess I was probably like 20, Common, who's like one of my favorite artists, uh, was rapping on stage. And I looked at all my boys. I was like, we have to do this right now. And they were like, what? I was like, if we don't do this right now, no one's ever going to notice this. And I, we rushed the stage while he was dancing, or sing, rapping on stage. Security's like trying to pull us off. And we're like back flipping and dancing all over. And then eventually as you're yanking us off stage, he tells him to bring us back on. And that was like one of those moments where I was like, I knew it. If we just got up there and broke. And then he actually broke dance with us. Oh man, that's amazing. That's amazing. Hey, one other thing I do want to cover with you. Um, God, I love that. Uh, from a standpoint of managing your time, I'm just trying to think back through our conversation, like make sure I'm able to yeah. pull out things that can help listeners uh, really be more successful. And, uh, and yeah. so, but managing your time. So I think, you know, I think when you get married, you have kids, things change a little bit. I can attest to that. But so do you have a battle with managing your time? How do you effectively uh, manage your time? And is it getting easier or getting worse? It's getting easier um, every single day. Like the, the past in 2016, uh, sounds crazy. I was 26. I was like, all right, I've, I've been a long run. I need to like, I want to do something different in my life. So I finally got my bar open and I found the amazing GM Lawrence. And he took this pace under his wing. And I was like, you know what? Like you've been here since I started. Like he knows that place back and forth. I literally had to do nothing anymore. And still to this day, he's still there. And I literally am so thankful for him because now the team, they come up with their own marketing ideas, their own events, their own everything. And I have an amazing partner. So like my partner and them, they're the operations. Um, I'm the bright ideas. And the, the now I get to kind of honestly be the owner where it's just building its own thing now. And that place will be there forever. So uh, that's gotten easier. And then with the ease, same thing. Like I just, every business I start, I empower, build the people up. My goal is to walk to the next one within two to three years of starting it. Either I sell it, exit or IPO. I'm the type of guy that I'm not trying to build a thousand person, 2000 person company and be a public facing CEO. Even if my idea is that great, I will literally build the infrastructure and be a part of the core ecosystem of the business, but hand off those tedious tasks to somebody that's going to be better at them. Because my thought process, when you look at my um, psychometrics, I'm not designed for that job. I'm designed to ideate, innovate, and create. So uh, that's why it's become easier for me because I, mean, I, I, I just refuse to do the things I'm not good at. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, if I can part on one note, refuse to do the things that you're not good at uh, is one of them. So that was an amazing conversation. This was the first time we've met, but I look forward to spending uh, time with you uh, outside of this yeah. conversation for sure. Thank you so much for sharing everything you did. Um, you know, to learn more about uh, Nathan, you can also go check out his website, which I believe is itses.com, right? Yep, itseas.com. Yeah, and he also has a podcast. It's called uh, Life with Ease. Is that right? Yes, uh, hashtag Life with Ease, all one word. Um, and then you'll be able to see it'll pop up everywhere. Awesome. All right, you're listening to Behind the Resume Podcast, brought to you by Scouts, where we find purpose-aligned and performance-proven leaders. For more information about Scouts please find us at wisecouts.com. Thanks for listening to Behind the Resume with Max Hansen. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Resume podcast with Scouts Max Hansen. Join us next time as we continue to have intimate conversations with leaders to learn their stories, life hacks, 
life experiences, and other interesting practices or learning experiences that have made them who they are today. You can learn more about your host, Max Hansen, and Scouts at Yscouts.com. Join us next time as we go behind the resume with Scouts Max Hansen. On demand 24-7 right here at StarWorldWideNetworks.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.